Introducing Nightlock, a Hunger Games podcast. Welcome to episode 42 of Nightlock Podcast, where we cover anything and everything related to the Hunger Games franchise, their new stories, book analyses, fan fictions, related music, product reviews, as well as other fun segments. I'm Matt. And I'm Kira. And since it's award season, we got a few announcements in that category, along with some other news. Uh, we will continue our Catching Fire in-depth book analysis with Chapter 16, which Kira will lead in lieu of Mariah's absence. Um, we are also bringing back an older segment, Under the Microscope, where we review a Hunger Games product. This week is the new iOS version of Hunger Games Adventures game. And we will also wrap up the show with a song and some listener emails and book, well, non-recommendations. We got a little twist to the segment so, this time. Um, so we'll start off with the pen and post. Go ahead, Kira. Alright, so Pan and Post will re-update you on the most major horror games news stories in the franchise. The big news, obviously. The Oscars. Jennifer Lawrence won an Oscar for Best Lead Actress for her performance in Silver Linings Playbook. And although this isn't directly related to the Hunger Games, um, obviously this is a big deal. Um, indirectly because having you know the lead actress in the Hunger Games already have an Oscar for Best Lead Actress definitely helps uh, boost it's up the It's only been like a year. Look how much, look how popular she's gotten already. Yeah, I mean she she was first nominated for an Oscar in the same category, Best Lead Actress, for her performance in Winter's Bone. Um, so this was her second nomination. But I mean she's I would say in the last three months she's really taken off, like um, popularity wise. Um, and Matt and I actually both saw the movie, um, a little vacation getaway we had. Um, so I mean. I have to start out by saying the movie was phenomenal. Um, it was great, but Jennifer made it phenomenal. I think without her, it would have been like a good movie, but with her, it was a great movie. I just feel like that was her type of character, though. The silent, um, over-emotional, traumatic person is yeah. definitely who she's really good at playing. Definitely. She's very good at the dark characters. Yeah, she hasn't really had a lot of roles that were um, kind of just run-of-the-mill, like regular girl like she's always had these dark tormented um, which is actually really interesting if you think about it, like Katniss is supposed to be the hero right mm-hmm. heroes are essentially supposed to be good but Katniss is a very dark character she is so that's kind of like it's playing up both sides like so that can just prove that like someone who's dark and morbid can actually still be a hero yeah it's interesting okay go ahead but um yeah i mean i i think um, Bradley Cooper's performance was great, um, but Jen really stole the show. She, no, um, she, I don't think she did. No? I think Bradley Cooper actually did really? a lot better. Well, because, I mean, it's easy for Jennifer to... Well, well, I mean, she's used to playing that type of character, so it wasn't that hard for her. For Bradley Cooper to play a bipolar character is actually really... It's really challenging, and he did an excellent job at it. You're saying it was more out of character for him than Jen because she's played so many other characters like Tiffany. I think like so. Tiffany. I think so. I think because, I mean, she Tiffany had that point where she blew up and she got over emotional when, at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Which that was the clip that was played um, for th- Best Lead Actress for the Oscars. I think Jennifer's good at that. Yeah. But for Bradley Cooper to, like, rip through the house and tearing things apart and throwing things all over the place and then all of a sudden 
Perfectly, perfectly fine. I feel like Tiffany's character had more, more layers to it than Pat, who was played by uh, Bradley Cooper. I think he had the whole bipolar thing going on. His whole mission through the movie is to get his wife back. She left him. So he's kind of like, I feel like he's more straightforward than Tiffany's character because Tiffany, I mean, the, the movie is R because of the plot line and, you know, obviously the language is most of it. But Tiffany has a very dark past where Pat is more, I don't know, it was like he was, he was kind of living with bipolar and he was more average, whereas Tiffany, her whole life has been very dramatic, very dark, very in- intense. I don't um, think our whole life was like that. It was when our husband died. Right. That her life became like that. But even before that, like... Um, we don't know what her life was like before that. She well, said they, she was happy. They they hinted at it that um, her sister is kind of the perfect child. And so when Tiffany, her sister, Pat, and Pat's friend all are eating dinner together, um, you know, the sister is, you know, has everything in its place, all perfect, perfect meals, spent all day on it, whatever. And Tiffany gets mad, whatever, saying, you know, I, you've always been the perfect one and I've always been the screwed up one. So we do get a little bit, you know... Um, of a feeling that she was kind of always the troubled girl, but, but anyway, I would give the movie definitely a solid A. Um, I really enjoyed it. So you should definitely see that if you're old enough. (laughs) When Jen went up to accept her Oscar, she fell on the stairs while going up. And as soon as she got up there, she said something like, um, oh, that was so embarrassing. You guys can sit down. I know you're just standing because you feel bad for me. Uh, referring to, like, everybody standing up and, you know, applauding her win. Now, I mean, I'm kind of thinking that it was on purpose. It was fake, the way she did it. You could just tell how fake it was. I think it was. Yeah, and it was kind of weird because it. I, she always makes a joke, and she's always trying to be funny and whatever. Not trying, sometimes she succeeds. It was kind of, that was her joke to lead into her speech and stuff, so I feel like that was her way of kind of you know, being funny, and that that was her joke, so she needed to fall in order to have the joke or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are saying it was fake and stuff, and after the whole scandal at the SAG Awards, I believe, where she had a little um, wardrobe malfunction when she went up to accept that award. So she's had a, a lot of um, award drama lately. She's not afraid to embarrass herself. Yeah, I think, she, I think she kind of likes that attention. It kind of makes her um, very very opposite of a lot of, the, a lot of actresses that are very... Um, very gracious and feminine, and there you have Jen, you know, from Kentucky, talking about getting run over from trucks and bucked off horses and crazy things. But yeah, I mean, you look at, like, Nicole Kidman, and then you look at Jennifer Lawrence, and it's like, big difference. But uh, speaking of award shows, The Hunger Games and Jennifer Lawrence has been nominated in the 2013 2013 Kids' Choice Awards. The Hunger Games is nominated in Favorite Movie and Favorite Book. Josh hasn't been nominated? No, he wasn't nominated. Oh, no. Man. And Jen is nominated for Favorite Movie Actress and Favorite Female Butt Kicker. You know it's a kids' award show when you've got that as you know, an award. Uh, um, so voting has begun. You can um, go to nick.com somewhere on there um, to vote. So be sure to support the fandom. So the Hollywood Reporter has revealed that Danny Strong has finished the first draft of Mockingjay Part 1, and Lionsgate has already approved it. Lionsgate also gave him the green light to start writing script for Mockingjay Part 2, so we're one step closer to filming. And I don't know if we've talked about his background before, but um, Danny Strong wrote the award-winning HBO movie The Game Change. 
So before the Oscars, um, Jennifer Lawrence was on air with Ryan Seacrest talking about um, research for Catching Fire. And um, actually, I forget, I think it was maybe a week ago or so, or a couple days ago, um, it, Josh was spotted. He At the beginning of the day, he had his um, normal brown locks. And then afterwards, he a couple hours later, whatever, they were dyed back to blonde. So that was our indicator that reshoots for Catching Fire um, are going on. In some interview, Jennifer Lawrence had indicated that in March they were going to start doing that. So um, not too surprising, but we do know for sure they are doing reshoots. So uh, let's listen to the clip with uh, Jennifer on air with Ryan Seacrest. What happens after the Oscars? Because that's essentially, that's the end of, of award season. Well, the, the day after I have to fly to Hawaii and do um, catching fire reshoots. But normally that's, that's vacation time. <laughs> it's almost evil. But I guess kind of. I'm going to Hawaii. Yeah, you're going to Hawaii. So that's but nice. It, it is almost evil yeah. for someone to schedule a shoot the day after the Oscars <laughs> when you're nominated for Best Actress. Hey, it's business. <laughs> right? <laughs> um. So last Friday, the Capitol wrote on their official Facebook page, Quote, Panama Alert, President Cornelius Snow is pleased to announce this year's Victory Tour, featuring Katniss Everdeen and Peter Malark, victors of the 74th Hunger Games. The Capital PN demands that all districts prepare accordingly. Inquire with your local district offering for further instructions. Once again, Lionsgate is kind of um, taking the perspective of the Capitol while they're alerting us citizens, I guess, um, as fans. And so along with this message on their Facebook page, they released two beautiful posters for the Victory Tour, starring the star-crossed lovers and victors of the 74th Games. So the the posters, I think, compared to... Th- these are our first official... Well, we had a, we had a um, teaser trailer for Catching Fire. We did? But it, it wasn't even a trailer. I mean, we just saw it was the flaming Mockingjay pin, and then the Mockingjay kind of broke out of the pin a little bit to make the Catching Fire logo um, on the front of the U.S. cover editions. So these are the first kind of posters with characters. And for the first poster, we see an um, up-close of PETA and Katniss. They look so much better than they did the first film. I I have to agree with that. They look glowing almost. Um, Their complexion is very, very clear, like crazy. I just think they look better, but okay. Yeah. And um, Peta's hair, they're both, actually both of their hair is a little darker. We did comment on um, how Katniss's hair is darker from seeing pictures leaked. I like it darker. Yeah. Um, I don't really like her hair darker, but I do like his a little darker. I like them both darker. Um, so they're both, the whole kind of um, color theme of the poster is white and silver. And you can see a couple of the Capitol buildings in the background, very tall skyscrapers kind of going on different weird angles. And... Um, so we see Jen in a, or Katniss, Katniss in a um, kind of conservative white dress holding white roses, which I just realized when I said that, the, you know, symbolism, symbolism behind that. Thank you. And on it, it doesn't even say Catching Fire, surprisingly enough. It just says Victory Tour with Katniss Everdeen and Peter Malark, winners of the 74th Hunger Games. Um, I mean, very, you can barely make it out. Below, it says something about IMAX. It's very hard to read. And Peta is wearing a button-up shirt and um, some slacks and um, just a white shirt. Very very simple. Peta is wearing a very simple, some slacks, gray slacks, and a button-up white shirt. And overall, the poster, very simple. Very sleek, I would say. And um, there's another picture with the cap... I, w- I would assume these are capital buildings, right? Yeah. They're pretty weird. Kind of coming at weird angles again from the ground, but we see Katniss and Peta 
in different clothes, very small. No, they're in the same clothes. I don't think so because yes, they are. Because he's wearing white pants in this one, and the other one he's wearing gray. No, he's wearing white pants too. Kara, he's wearing white pants in this one too. It's just a shadow. No, those are gray slacks. No, they're not. They're white. Email us on. I think. I know, Kara. It's, it's just darker as it goes down. Yes, it is. Like right here is. So why? Shadow. Why is it the same color as his shirt then? It's not. Okay, then what color is this part of his shirt? That's darker because of the shadow, but this is. This is part. Darker. No, that's part of the shadow as okay, well. Whatever. We see Katniss and Peeta much smaller, and the um, Capitol buildings, you know, more prominent in the picture. Now I don't know. Like I get the first picture, you know, Katniss, Peeta close up, Capitol in the background. They're really victors, whatever. But this second poster with the much smaller, just I don't know, it seems kind of pointless. Like. You don't look at this and say, oh, Hunger Games. So I don't know if this is just kind of for the fans or are they going to use this to promote the films? I'm guessing they're not going to use this to promote films because it, it doesn't scream Hunger Games at all. It's just kind of like you look at it, you're like, is that a piece of art or, you know, it's not too um, helpful. So what I'm wondering is if Lionsgate will release these new glimpses of Katniss and Peeta maybe as they tour each district and then they would release those on the appropriate district pages, the Facebook pages, so that when they go to District 1, they would post on District 1's Facebook page a picture of them there. I feel like this would be a great way for fans to get excited for the films, and they could release, like, bi-weekly until, you know, November when the film comes out. Because, um, I mean, there's not too much going on in the fandom right now. It's kind of, you know, kind of a little stagnant, but we'll get there. And now, through the eyes of Katniss Everdeen, um, I will be leading Chapter 16, since uh, Mariah couldn't be with us today. Um, so, with Chapter 15, we left off with Katniss discovering Darius is an AVOC. And so she kind of starts out the chapter with Hamish gripping her wrist, anticipating her next move, so that she doesn't do something stupid. And Katniss recalls Hamish telling her about the AVOC's tongues being tampered with to prevent speech. And she says, quote, In my head, I hear Darius's voice, playful and bright, ring across the hob to tease me. Not as my fellow victors make fun of me now, but because we genuinely like each other. If Gail could see him. Last episode, we talked a little, a little bit about how Katniss and Darius might have had a little romance going on, possibly, or it could have headed that way. And I feel like this kind of reinforces that idea. Hmm, I don't think so. No. I'm just overanalyzing it. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. I think he's just messing with her. Yeah. Not a big deal. Candace knows not to make any movement of recognition because it would just hurt Darius. And she kind of points out that he wouldn't have been, that Darius wouldn't have been an AVOX if it wasn't for her because Darius stepped in when Gail was getting whipped when Katniss went to save. He in interrupted that. And she says, quote, and more specifically, he wouldn't be my AVOX because President Snow has so obviously had placed him here for my benefit. I think in Catching Fire, obviously, we have Snow getting much more involved with Katniss's life and kind of interrupting things and making kind of obstacles for her to try and make her life more miserable. Because it's not miserable enough yet. So then Katniss breaks free from Hamish's grasp and goes to her bedroom and tries to imagine she's back in District 12. And again, they're in... Well, what's the building called that they stay in that's near the training center? The Justice Building. The Justice no, Building. No, no, no. I don't know if we ever have a name it's for just that. A... Just, just where they stay. So dinner is kind of just talking about the opening ceremonies and Katniss purposely knocks out a, a dish of peas 
um, so she can have an interaction with Darius because obviously he's going to come and clean it up because he's an Aedox and servant to them. And she says, quote, For just one moment, our hands meet. I can feel his skin rough under the buttery sauce from the dish. In the tight, desperate clench of our fingers are the words we'll never be able to say. So this is her one interaction with him, and they can't talk, but they kind of, their body language kind of tells each other what they're feeling, and that Katniss feels so bad, and she really can't do anything, because if she tries to help him in some way, he's just going to get punished more. She's kind of in this awkward situation that she feels really bad and guilty for what she's done. So then as the night moves along, they watch a recap of the opening ceremony, and Katniss sits between uh, Cinna and Hamish and is avoiding Peeta because, again, she's kind of not on great terms with him right now because he was calling her pure, and she didn't really like that, and she's kind of just... She's not really feeling the whole Peeta thing because Peeta doesn't really understand where she's coming from with the whole Darius thing, and she feels like he doesn't... He can't understand that because he was never part of the Hob. He was... He doesn't understand her life like Gail would, so that, you know, the whole triangle comes into play. Katniss, I mean... I understand kind of why she's mad, but I don't understand why she's this mad. About, about what? Just about things with PETA. It's kind of weird. I mean, she's talking about how PETA wasn't hob the way the rest of us were, blah, blah, blah. And she says, quote, I haven't changed my mind about saving him in the arena, but I don't owe him more than that. And I, don't, I don't know if I'm just kind of overlooking it. Well, why is she mad at him? Right. Like, no, but like what... Why is she saying that? Like, She's, what about the hub? Is she saying that he gives sympathy to Darius? Well, he just doesn't... He said... What did Peter say that got her so upset? Well, she's explaining, quote, He might have known Darius to nod hello, but Peter wasn't Hob the way the rest of us were. Besides, I'm still angry with him for laughing at me along with other victors, and the last thing I want is his sympathy and comfort. So I guess she's just kind of sick of him. Like, oh, he's perfect. He's never really had to deal with pain when... Hello, wake up, Katniss. Like... He was in the games with you. I don't know. I I feel like Katniss is just kind of just shows how things. horrible of a character Katniss is. I don't think she's a I, horrible I don't, character. I just don't like her anymore. Yeah, I think the more we I, I can't her. stand her. I really can't. <laughs> she's conceited, biased, opinionated, closed-minded, and over-emotional about everything. I agree with that, definitely. And it's annoying, because I'm tired of listening to it. It's like one of those annoying girls that always talks about themselves in school, and we get tired of listening to them. So we just nod. Yeah. Katniss starts commenting on how the victors are, quote, looking grotesque in their costumes. The crowd goes wild when Peeta and I appear, looking so young and strong and beautiful in our brilliant costumes, the very image of what tribute should be. Okay. So... This kind of brings up the whole idea that all these victors, which we'll get into later in the chapter, because she meets more of the victors. These last two, this chapter and chapter 15, the last one, um, a lot of meeting new characters, um, which is interesting to reread after you've gone through it because you kind of see it with a new lens. So and it's interesting that now she sees herself as what a tribute should be, that in the pool of tributes that are in the 75th games, she kind of believes herself to be kind of the poster child for that. Like, okay. she's one of the better ones. Effie reminds Katniss before bed of training strategy the next morning, um, but Katniss remarks how hollow her voice is and actually sympathizes for Effie for, like, the first time, which is is a first. She just kind of goes on to say that she finally had a decent year in the games with Peeta and me, and now it's all broken down into a mess that even she can't put a positive spin on. In capital terms, I'm guessing this counts as a true tragedy. I think here we start seeing Katniss actually starting to care for other people, 
yes, she has a relationship with Effie and Cinna and Hamish, but I feel like in the first book, she's very selfish, mm-hmm. except for when it comes to her own nuclear family. But when it refers to other characters that are outside her family, mm-hmm. and, and Gail, she, you know, I would count that as her family, her cousin, we could call it. I feel like she's finally feeling bad for people and actually seeing them kind of walking in their shoes and seeing what it's like to be them. So someone knocks on Katniss's door, but she ignores it and doesn't want PETA tonight, she says. Which is funny that she just assumes it would be PETA and not someone else. That she kind of just assumes PETA's just always there for her. And she doesn't really appreciate it as much as she should. So she dreams of tongues, because she had just had that encounter with Darius. And she dreams of watching Darius have surgery, and then Finnick stalking her, flicking his tongue, and it turns out to be Snow's lips, dripping with blood. And then her dreams kind of end with having a really dry tongue in the arena, and she can't drink the water that's in front of her. So then as soon as she wakes up, she goes and drinks water, and so it's, it's kind of just an, a weird night for her, a lot, of, lot going on. And so she's, in the morning, she's delaying breakfast, because um, she doesn't want to do the training strategy and everything. And she says, quote, what's to discuss? Every victor already knows what everybody else can do, or used to be able to do anyway. So Peter and I will continue to act in love, and that's it. And that's that. I feel like this is the first time she's kind of accepting that Peter and her have to act in love, and she's not really putting up any resistance towards that, that she kind of is just like, yep, that's what we have to do, that's part of it. I don't think so. I don't think this is the first time. When would you say, like, the first time that she just accepted it? Probably, like, the first time they saw each other after... When they got back from the Hunger Games? When they, um... In the snow? Well, they had a, um... When they had that interview with Caesar Flickerman afterwards no. on that love chair... Love chair? What is that no. called? After the games and everything, and when mm-hmm. they were living in the Victor's Village. You think that's And she saw him. Point. I think that was it. I don't think this is the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. When... Katniss finally does come down for uh, breakfast. Hamish is wearing a solid gold bangle with pattern of flames. Katniss describes this as part of Effie's matching token plan. Katniss compares it to a shackle, which is kind of funny. She still has that... Dark humor. Yeah. And we see this kind of pop. This is the first time that the solid gold gold bangle kind of pops up, but we'll kind of talk about that later when they refer to that in the uh, games itself. And Hamish is actually mad that she's late. I mean, she was he was pounding on her door before to come down, and I think this is the first time that Hamish is kind of really putting an effort towards them. Mm-hmm. And I would say that's because that's because he he's part of a master plan now. It's not just him anymore; that he's part of the plan with um, Heaven's Beings and all the other tributes that are in on it to get not only Katniss out alive, but Peta and a bunch of the other tributes. Hamish instructs uh, Katniss and Peta to have two jobs for the day when she's going, when they're going to the training center. The first is to stay in love, as he says, and the second one is to make some friends. And right away, obviously, being antisocial, Katniss refuses, but Hamish insists, quote, you're going to need more allies this time around. And he points out that they're, they're a distinct disadvantage as other competitors are knowing each other for years, as Katniss had said a couple pages ago. And so Katniss is like, you know, do you want us to be part of the careers then? And, and Hamish is like, well, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you have to play it differently this time. You can't just be all of a sudden good. Everybody already knows you're really good. Hamish, right off the bat, suggests Chaff, Cedar, and Finnick to be part of their team. 
And then Haymitch says, quote, remember, you're not in a ring full of trembling children anymore. These people are all experienced killers, no matter what shape they appear to be in. So again, it's just kind of talking about how it's very different this year and that it's not like tributes are going to be figuring out how to kill each other, you know, and like trying to figure out what, what their best advantage is and everything. They already know. You could say some things are predetermined because you know who's good at what. So Katniss thinks she's going to be bad at making allies and... I mean, other than Rue, she really is, because Peta kind of approached her to be allies. So when they go down to the training center, Hamish doesn't want Effie bringing Peta and Katniss down, because they already seem very young. They are... I would, I would say they're the youngest there, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think... Yeah. Yeah. They're the youngest there, so they don't need to be seen with a babysitter, as he explains it. So now it gets time to be introduced to more of the tributes. So the district... Two um, girl tribute is Enobaria. I think so. Go with. We learn that she killed a tribute by ripping open the throat, their throat, with her own teeth. So when she won the games, whatever, she got to the capital, she got her teeth altered to a sharp point fangs. And what I'm wondering is there's a lot of kind of aspects that are different about these games, but how does it work if someone has altered their body somehow? to have an extra advantage, like a weapon of having sharp teeth, to then go into the arena. Isn't that like a violation? They'll probably take them off her. So she'd have to go through surgery again and do that? I don't, I don't remember if, if Or I don't, I don't know. I think it's because it's like part of her body. They can't take it away. But then do you think that other career tributes that are volunteering for the games will do that to have an advantage? Because then it kind of... I don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. It's interesting. I didn't think about that until I started reading this chapter. But send in your thoughts. So half the tributes don't show up to the training center, unlike last year when Katniss and Peter were the last to be there. So Katniss and Peter kind of split up, and Katniss goes straight to the nodding station. And Finnick joins her, and obviously he's great at nodding, as he's great at making nets. But he makes a noose and pretends to hang himself, so that's kind of... His humor, and I feel like in that way, him and Katniss are very much alike. So then Katniss goes to the fire building station and notices that the District 3 tributes are struggling, kind of helps them out. So she gets to know them a little bit. She learns that um, both of them, you could see, are very small-framed, and they use their intelligence um, to win the games, originally their original games. Um, So Wyrus is about her mom's age, and she speaks quiet, very intelligently. BT is older. He's, um, he has glasses, and he's very fidgety. Um, I think that's the best word to describe him. And very slyly, Katniss kind of speculates and asks them about Uprising in District 3, because they start talking about a musical chip that holds songs, and that, and then Katniss is like, oh, my prep team was complaining they couldn't get one of those. And she says, quote, I guess a lot of orders from District 3 were getting backed up. And then, so right away, BT kind of, like, understands what she's saying and says... Yes, did you have any similar backups in coal production this year? She's like, no, we didn't. So basically, he's confirming that there was an uprising, and Katniss is saying, no, no uprising in District 12. But then she kind of feels bad. She's like, you know, it's making District 12 look bad. So she she explains that there was no uprising in there because they don't have too many people. Um, because District 12 is one of the smaller districts. And then... Wyrus points out a quote, a, a patch of space about six inches square at the corner of the table seems almost to be vibrating. And this is kind of um, the force field between the 
training center, like the big gymnasium, I guess we could call it, that they're in, and the section that the game makers are in that are kind of looking on them and just observing all of the tributes training. This this patch of space that's kind of um, vibrating is part of the force field. So they're, they're kind of showing kind of like, oh, look, there's a force field. And so they're kind of wondering why all of a sudden there is one there, there's never been before, even last games. And Katniss explains that it was probably because of me, quote, last year I shot an arrow at them during my private training session. She's like, I was provoked. <laughs> Obviously we know that none of that information gets let out. So Wires and Beatty didn't know that. So once Katniss connects back up with PETA. She informs him that she does like BT and Wyrus. He says that they're kind of um, the laughing stock of the group, and the other tribute's kind of making fun of them, calling them nuts and volts. And Pete explains he likes Chaff and Cedar. Um, and Kate, uh, Katniss doesn't really like Chaff too much, but she kind of warms up to him. Then we get introduced to Cecilia from District 8, who's a mom of three. Also from District 8 is Wolf. And he's old and hard of hearing, and we're seeing a lot of the tributes are kind of broken in a lot of ways, and that Katniss and Peter really are the strongest ones. I mean, they're broken in a lot of ways. How are they broken? Well, for instance, Woof can't okay, really hear. So that's one person. And then you have Mags, but that's it. Right, and then you have... Is chaff. that Chaff? Okay. Alright, but I don't think they're all broken. A lot of them are old, broken. The um, the ones people. from District Six that are morphine addicts, they're obviously not. They basically just play with the the painting station, um, like to camouflage yourself. They are just painting things on each other. They, there's a lot of dis or misfits. tributes. No, they're misfits. Right, but a lot of them are not fit to be fighting. Like I just named like five right off the bat. I don't think because they're addicted to morphine, they're not able yeah. to fight. Because oh, then they're yeah. they're going into withdrawal because they don't have it when they're there. So they're not... I don't think so, but okay. So then Katniss um, kind of spends some time with Mags, who is from District 4 and was Fennec's mentor, and now Fennec's um, fellow tribute. Um, and she kind of explains she's, she can make fish, fish hooks out of everything, but she's kind of incoherent. But she starts kind of understanding what she's saying after spending some time with her. Um, and we talked about this a couple episodes ago. Katniss brings it up. She remembers that Mags volunteered for Annie uh, at the time we don't know. She doesn't say Annie because she doesn't know who it is um, to save her. And Katniss kind of relating it to herself, how she volunteered to save Prim. So she kind of then has some more sympathy for her and wants her. And then she kind of makes the joke, great, Hamish is going to love me. I have to go back and tell him I want an 80-year-old and nuts and bolts for my allies. He'll love that. So then, since everybody knows of Katniss's skill in archery, she shoots some arrows um, at these moving fake birds, and um, Tax is the instructor on that one. And even though everybody knows how great she is at archery, they don't know quite how great she is. And she says, quote, when I managed to take down five birds in one round, by um, the instructor tax, kind of throwing all of them up at once and she shoots them all down. She says, quote, I realize it's so quiet I can hear each one hit the floor. I turn and see the majority of victors have stopped to watch me. Their faces show everything from envy to hatred to admiration. So nobody really knows how great she was. And after that now, a lot of the mentors have talked to Hamage and want Katniss on their team. So... She's not so great socially, but because she's so great physically, everybody kind of wants her. 
Everybody's requesting her. And then Finnick gives uh, Katniss one hour trident lesson in return for an archery lesson. So she is making friends and she is getting to know more of the tributes. She says, quote, the more I come to know these people, the worse it is because she knows she's just going to have to kill them. Um, she says, but all of them must die if I'm going to save Pita. So she still has a school mind, even though she's not very um, warm and friendly towards him at the time. Um, and they're all getting ready for their private session with the game makers and the tributes are joking what they'll do in these private sessions. And Mag says she's just going to nap. I mean, they really, they really are just sick at this point of playing the game. Peta has a funny line where he says, not a clue, referring to what he's going to do. I keep wishing I could bake a cake or something. So there, there are a couple funny lines in this one. And right before he goes out for his private session, Katniss blur blurts out to him, how are we going to kill all these people, Peta? And you know, he simply just says, I don't know. And Katniss explains, she, quote, doesn't want them as allies. It makes it harder. And so once Katniss goes out for a private session, she smells um, like cleaner of some sort and a mat dragged to the center of the room. So obviously they're covering up something. The game makers this year are much more alert than last year. And obviously Peta had just gone before her because 12 goes last, then the boy and then the girl last. Um, and so she's wondering, what did Peta do that was so bad? Why are they cleaning all this up? Why did it take so long to get out here? Then she starts kind of recalling... It's kind of random. She just starts talk, like talking about Plutard's heaven bees when asking her to dance and then showing the Mockingjay on her watch, or on his watch. Um, and obviously we find out later she, he was trying to inform her and give her information on the arena to have that input to be able to do better and have more information in the games. And um, that was kind of thrown in there randomly. So she's still worrying about what PETA could have done. That would have been horrible. And so she's like, you know what? I have to do... I have to make my training session worse to protect him. So she makes a noose, and she takes a dummy, hanging it in the noose, and uses this red, uh, blood-red berry juice and writes Seneca Crane on it. And then she kind of just leaves. So once again, she has quite a pro provocative training session. Yeah, obviously, she did that showing that the Capitol killed Seneca Crane and that, you know, she's kind of on to him. That's where we leave off with Chapter 16, another cliffhanger. All right. It's good. Long chapter, but we do get a lot more information and much more exciting than um, some of the earlier chapters. All right. So we're going to move on to Capital Opera, which is where I or Kira or you guys send in a song that well, basically talks about the whole series. Now you guys know how this drill goes. So the song that I selected this week is going to be Still by Ben Foltz. So let's take a listen. I must give the impression that I had the answers for everything you were so disappointed to see me unravel so easily it's only change it's only Constant, and I only want. 
to be me But watch Even the stars above Things that seem still are still changing What I think about this song is um, what I thought is Katniss's mother when um, she lost her husband and that she completely fell apart, lost all sense of reality, all sense of hope, and is that what you had? No, that's so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, just thinking about that, I've seen like, um, you were so disappointed to see me unravel so easily. It's sort of like Katniss and Prem always relying on her and always having her there for them. But then when she lost her husband, she completely fell apart. And that because she fell apart so easily because she was still grieving over the death of her husband and she never actually overcame that. So she still, she repressed all those feelings and she still does now because she realizes now she needs to be there for her children more than anything. So. Right. At the, at the point that we are in the book now, you're referring to. Yeah. Um, yeah. To add on to that, uh, the quote, you want something that's constant. Um, a parent obviously needs to be constant, needs to always be supporting their children and needs to not be emotionally all over the place. So I think that quote kind of could mean emotionally constant. Um, but that, that was good. I, I was struggling with how to connect that. And the quote um, that you mentioned, I must give the impression that I have the answer to everything. Um, you know, never mind. It doesn't make sense. That connects really well. It does. Oh, okay. I just put that in the wind. Nice. Is that it? That's why you got nothing to say on that? No. Okay. You stole the show on that one. So we're going back to our Under the Microscope segment. Um, this segment is where we review products related to the Hunger Games. So um, we haven't done this uh, segment in a while, but on um, this episode, we Kira, well, Kira will be reviewing, because I don't play this, um, Kira will be reviewing the Hunger Games Adventure video game. Right. Hunger Games Adventures video game. Um. So... The initial launch of this game was in March, the same day as the film debuted. Um, but originally it was only on Facebook. And I'm, I don't know, I'm not that into the Facebook games. Um, but now it's available on iOS devices for free download, which they're calling this the new 2.0 version of the game. Um, but basically it is the same game. The only difference between them is the Facebook um, game. You can involve your friends on it, and you can even ask your friends for gifts and, and certain items. And it has three stars on iTunes, which is okay. So basically, players can create their own avatars, complete quests, or favors for other characters, such as Prim, Peta, Katniss, Hamish, Cinna, Effie, Gale. That's who I've encountered so far in the game. Again, this is like version 2.0, which is the iOS version, so that's available for iPads, iPhones, um, other smartphones um, that I don't use. <laughs> um, so, so this version does have over 100 new quests, um, including, quote, an exclusive new storyline that gives players a sneak peek at District 1, um, and players will prepare for the games themselves. Um, so right now, I'm on level 23, chapter 8, which uh, the levels is like the experience you've had in the game, but chapters are um, it kind of, it. I guess you could say it's kind of its own, its own storyline, because there are, each chapter kind of is a concentration in one area, and... So, Chapter 7, for instance, was about researching for the games, which I, I thought that was most interesting. You actually got to work with, like, Seneca Crane and go into the game maker's room, and then you went out into other arenas and kind of looked at 
um, different mutations. And so that, that was a really cool chapter, chapter seven. If you can get up to that, that's, that's fun. Um, and also the first time the official Panem, the official map of Panem is revealed. Now I'm assuming that as I play the game, I'll unlock this. Um, I mean, I have gotten pretty far level 23. Um, but I've only unlocked a couple things and I don't, I don't think even all the chapters are out there right now. There's 14 chapters, but I think as time goes on, they keep adding new chapters to kind of keep you engaged and coming back. If you've finished all the chapters that are out there. Um, so the quests you're given are never really too complicated. Um, but they do provide some unique insight to the day to day lives of those well-known characters. Uh, that I mentioned before, all the main characters. Um, and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I guess it depends on what type of games you like to play. It's impossible to lose in the Hunger Games adventures, um, but the only benchmark for victory is to see how quickly you can progress through the game's storyline. And it's kind of ironic because you can't die in the game, but yet the series focuses so much on death and killing, which is weird. But, I mean, you're, you're still fighting in some cases, but you're never, you never lose health or anything. There's no health. There's just energy. Um, which brings me into what I don't like about the game. Um, there's a lot of waiting because you have to wait for your energy to kind of build back up. It, the, the game is kind of set up similar to, like, Farmville or, or games like that where you have to wait a certain amount of time to get something done. Um, and you get one point of energy every five minutes. And a lot of tasks require at least one point of energy or like three. So it takes a lot of time. You have to kind of like come back to it a lot. Um, and during the game, you can listen to real music from the soundtrack, which I really like because you kind of feel like you're in Panem, I guess. And it's the songs from the movie that are playing in the background, you know, the classical pieces. Um, it also includes um, Sting's version, the singer, of Rue's Lullaby, which I think is just creepy. Um, this was released previously, but we haven't featured it on the podcast, so uh, let, let's take a listen of this weird clip. sounds like a parody of it of itself like it's like someone else would have produced it as a spoof but it's for real so it's kind of weird but um so bottom line is if you're looking to explore the world of Penem but you're aren't really interested in your avatar dying or killing others you're kind of more interested in, in the story of it and kind of progressing through the game then it's a good game um 
and you do get to learn more about characters and locations and you know you get to follow the storyline i do i mean so far and i've i've played quite a bit of it i want to say about half of it maybe um you know i've i'm in chapter eight out of 14 um level 23 but um it, it doesn't i haven't really learned too much new information it's kind of just um kind of more in depth i would say um and I, w I would like to see more information getting released, like Susan Collins to maybe give the um, the game producers or, or whatever you call them, <laughs> game makers, <laughs> um, more information on characters or this or that. And I'm sure once more districts are unlocked, then we'll find out more about that. Um, but yeah, so I, I would say I'd give the game maybe B+, plus, um, just because the waiting is annoying. I would almost rather just buy the game and be done with it and play with it, but... So that's, that's my review of it. Um, and again, the Facebook game is very similar to it. The only difference is that um, you can have your friends kind of um, interact with you on there so that you can give each other items and things. So um, I just prefer the iPad version, or the iOS version. I played on my iPad, but... Okay. Right. I would never do it, so... Well, I mean, it's fun. It's something to do while I'm bored in class. All right, so... Last segment today is going to be mock and mail. You guys know how that works. We just send, we just read listener feedback, listener emails. So you guys can always send us an email at nightlockpodcast at gmail dot com, or through the contact us page mm -hmm. on the website on the website nightlockpodcast dot com. So this email is from Veronica S. I'll just go through this. Okay, she says, "Hey guys, you guys have been talking on the show about whether or not the Capitol had planned the quarter quell before what Katniss did during the 74th games, or if it was because of her. I used to think that it was solely because of Katniss, but listening to your show, I developed a slightly different theory. I believe that the Capitol was looking for a way to get rid of Katniss, and at the same time, all of the victors that may have been causing them trouble. I believe that Plutar may have been the one, resp respons the one responsible for the quarter quell conditions. He could have presented the idea to President Snow as a way to get into position as head game maker, knowing that the president would love the idea and also that he could use it for the, rebe for the rebellion the way that he did at the end of the games. Also, there's a song on the Hard Games Companion CD that you discussed on your Capital Opera episode a while back called Dark Days by Punch Brothers. Yep. I remember Matt, that Matt had said that he thought about the actual incest when the song Sister Hide Her Love Away. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I believe it connects to the movie with Galen Cat with the Galen Katniss reference. It reminds me of how in the books Katniss and Gal pretend have to pretend they are cousins and hide their love away. Hmm. Okay. That's a good point. Um, you guys have a great podcast, and I hope you continue it for a long time. And I love the Jennifer Lawrence accents. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, P.S. Just an idea. You guys already sound great, but I've noticed with podcasts that sometimes little things like bumpers for segments make them sound more legit. If that makes sense. I think she means, like, on our Harim's dating game show, how we have the music in the background. I think that's what she means. So, um, you guys could send us, like, YouTube clips or something of things you'd like, like, mock and mail, like, whoosh of a mail coming in or something I think, cool. Yeah, she says, I think it would be cool if you guys had bumpers for your different segments. And if you have a hard time coming up with them, you could have fans help you and maybe send some in. Yeah. So, go ahead, fans. Send them in. Um, you can find, you can even make your own. We'll give you credit. We'll plug you and everything. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. I've thought about doing that, and then I was like, I don't know, I didn't know what to use for it, so we'll look into it. Send us some stuff. Okay. So I think those are good insights. I, you know, the the song um, referencing the Katniss and Gale 
uh, relationship. I didn't even think of that. And the um, the uh, head game maker positioned by Plutard Heavensby. Um, that makes sense too. So all good stuff. I like when you guys send in intelligent emails. <laughs> all right. This one's from Erica. She says, I just finished listening to your fifth episode. Oh, fifth episode. oh man. Um, New fifth episode. I just want to say I love your podcast. You guys are so interesting to listen to. I stopped reading the hard games once because I got bored, but I picked but um, I picked it up and became obsessed with finishing it. After I fell for Peta, I pictured him as Josh Hutcherson. I loved him since I was like ten and went around hoping he would be Peta anyway. Love you guys, Erica. Nice email. All right, so we're gonna do plugs now or book recommendation. Uh. Let's do the plugs first. I'll do the plugs, and then uh, we'll do our interesting twist of the segment. So as you guys know, you can email us with any comments about this episode or previous ones at nightlockpodcast at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash nightlockpodcast. Follow us on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash nightlockpod, P-O-D. And subscribe to us on iTunes. All those links are located on our website, nightlockpodcast.com, for your convenience. So please write us a review on iTunes. It's a fantastic way to attract other Hunger Games fans like yourselves, so they too can enjoy listening to us. Um, just like Erica, who just started listening to us recently, you can inspire others to listen to us as well. So if you'd like to subscribe to our email alerts when we make announcements or release new episodes, you can sign up in the sidebar of our website, nightlockpodcast.com. All right, so recommendations. We are ending the show recommending or not recommending a book that listeners may or may not enjoy. Um, why don't you go first, Matt? All right. Oh, shoot, I forget the author's names, but they know who it is. Um, Kimmy Garcia and Margaret Stoll. Okay, we're curious to say. Okay, um, I'm going to disrecommend, unrecommend, whatever. Um, Beautiful Creatures by... Margaret Stoll and Kimmy Garcia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's my okay. that's my try. Um, the movie just came out. I really want to see the movie because the movie looks good. But the book in itself is... I don't want to say horrible because it's not, but it's very stereotypical and very generalization it's the whole concept between good and evil and it's completely original saying that like you either turn good or you either turn evil and you're either claimed by the light or claimed by the dark and if you're claimed by the dark you're a bad person it's just what are the the people called they're called they're not called witches or warlocks or they're called casters okay which is weird too in itself but um the book is also written in the perspective of a 15 year old boy so a lot of the writing is really awkward and a lot of the things that he says to the main girl character is also really awkward. And I don't see how the relationship actually plays out. All of a sudden, he's madly in love with her and he can't explain why, which doesn't make sense at all. Um, and that happens pretty early yeah, on in the book. Like, yeah, really early in the book. Like, within the first 50 pages. Right. Because um, I read that I part. mean, the book is 400 pages long. and Big print, though. Big print. And I'm around 250 pages in and nothing eventful like really eventful has happened hmm. like there are a few like little things that have gone on and little things like like nothing really major has happened like we haven't gotten to like the high like the climax of the book yet and i just think i'm just not a fan of it i was really excited to read it and i was like really into it the first couple of pages first like 100 pages or so and now it's just going really stereotypical and generalization and i'm i just don't I'm, I'm still excited to read it. I'm hoping that it's not as bad as you say. Um, I mean, it's not I do terrible, like that it takes but... place down south because it has a weird obsession with that. But, um, and, you know, I, I mean, it's been on my reading list for, like, two years now. It's just so, it's just so, like, 
you can predict what's going to happen living in a small town when nothing really happens and all of a sudden this big monumental event goes on and there's always been the mystery like there's always this history in the town everyone's linked to one another like i can predict yeah like someone obviously this person is going to be in relation with this person it kind of sounds like to kill a mockingbird and i know they reference that book they do in, within the book which they do. is kind of weird um they do. funny but um all right it's just and they they explain things like they say something and they don't explain it hmm. like the main girl character will say this is what this is and the boy character will never ask what that is right he'll never like, kind of go she'll just like, they'll just go on and hold talk about it and you'll read about it but like what is that what that doesn't make any sense and they never go on explaining what it is mm-hmm. so the reader just goes on just like bypassing what they said because we don't know we don't, can't explain it so mm-hmm. it's i don't like it Sorry. Right. So, what letter grade would you give it? D. D. Ooh, that's harsh. I mean, like. Yeah. I, I like. It's just. It's such a general. Like, it's such a stereotypical book. And maybe it's meant for younger readers that you know, if you were in seventh grade, maybe a lot more exciting than. But I, apparently, the movie's supposed to be a lot better. So. Hmm. That would be interesting. Like, well, you should see the movie after you maybe yeah. finish the book if you end up finishing it. I probably um, will. And then you should you should compare and see if for once like they're the giving like better. they're giving the movie higher ratings. I don't see how the book is a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. But. Well, I'll read it eventually, and, you know, by episode 100, I'll have read it. So I want to recommend the book When She Woke by Hilary Jordan. And basically, this book is a modern-day version of The Scarlet Letter, which, if you've gotten turned off by it already, you know, keep listening. Um, because it is it is dystopian, which oh directly God. relates to The Hunger Games, which I love dystopian books. So um, all right. It's well, like the trend now. Yeah, I know. I was on the trend before it was a trend. Whatever. It, every single book now is like that, and yeah. it's frustrating. All trilogies of dystopian novels. Can never right? can author think of anything else to write about? It's ridiculous. And all the characters are kind of similar to characters in um, the Scarlet Letter. So the main character's name is Hannah instead of Hester, and the love interest. What, what was the love interest name? I don't remember. Uh, something, something Dale or whatever. But in the book, he's Aiden Dale. The way it's dystopian is that when someone commits a crime, instead of being locked up in a jail, their skin is dyed a a specific color. So if you're a murderer of some kind, then your skin is red. There's... I can't really say the main component because it's not appropriate for our audience. But it is is for older high schoolers um, and college-age students. Um, so back to the, the when you make a cr- when you uh, commit a crime, your skin is dyed that color. So you have some with yellow skin, some with green skin, uh, red skin. I think there's blue skin in there. Um, so that when you're in public, people know right away if you committed a crime. If you're um, a felon, you you your sentence is how long your skin is dyed that color, and you have to go for renewals. Otherwise, a virus will take over um, and you'll eventually die. If you don't get your skin renewed is the term they use. Um, I'm almost done with it. Uh, I, that's that's the main main thing of it. Uh, so far, I think I'd give it a, a B, B plus. It's, it's good, and it's got really good ideas, and the writing is good. I just feel like the events, it's kind of slow. It doesn't, nothing really happens. Um, I mean, stuff has happened, but it's nothing, like, exciting. But And I think it's more about the morals and what is really wrong and right, because even though it's in the future, a lot of things are very conservative. Um, mm-hmm. Her family is very, um, you know, they're very religious. Um, they're pro-life, and that's what kind of her issue is with that because something happens where she has to do something that goes against that idea. Um, and she's pregnant? 
yeah, she is pregnant and she has to uh, solve that. All right, well, that's our show for today. So we will see you uh, next month for the anniversary of the Hunger Games. Bye. Bye.